Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Good to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. Lots of great games to get into this weekend, including the Titans and the Rams. How about the Rams trading for Vaughn Miller? The big move being made at the trade deadline. Plus, we're calling it the Lombardi Bowl. Patriots and Panthers, how exactly are Mike and Millie going to watch this game with both of their kids uh, coaching and both those respective staffs? But we begin with Odell Beckham Jr., which has been a constant refrain here on the Shuffle. Last few weeks, in fact, Mike's been talked about the fact this guy's been ineffective. Well, now it's really blown up. Tensions heating up after Beckham's father. That's right, like father, like son. The classic Dudley Moore, Kirk Cameron movie. Beckham's father posting a YouTube video showing all the times Baker Mayfield has missed his son being open. So Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski has told players Beckham is effectively not on the team right now, hasn't spoken to him in over 24 hours. His reps are now talking with the Browns front office about what's next for the receiver. Since coming back from the ACL injury, Mike, he has not been the same player, ineffective, a few crucial drops throughout the season. I'm sure his people will say, well, he's not getting the ball enough. He was only targeted once in Sunday's 15-10 loss to the Steelers. In Baker versus Beckham or Browns versus Beckham, how are you ruling this one? Well, first of all, I want to understand how the hell Bake, uh, Odell's father is so technically savvy to be able to go to YouTube and do that. Like, I, I mean, seriously, I want to know this. I mean, I, I can't do it. I, I'm going to go down and maybe Odell Sr. will teach a course on how to handle this because I need to learn. I mean, I would love to have this ability to splice YouTube stuff together. I mean, I'm, I'm useless when it comes to this. How does he do it? It is amazing because you're right. He's got like some sort of editing equipment. He knows how to do this. This is this is a father who's got a lot of talents. I agree. I mean, TikTok. I mean, I don't even, I mean, Bill Berman's daughter, Anna, she tried, he tried to, I don't even understand TikTok. Like, I don't get it. I, I don't even, you know, and they're <laughs> over there looking at himself dancing. I mean, this guy's over here. He's splicing together things all under the disguise that it's him and not Odell. Okay, I got it. Yeah, this wasn't from Odell. No chance. This is just a dad being a dad, you know? I mean, like, if I... I did that for Mick. I mean, Mick would be like, Dad, are you kidding me? What are you doing? Like, stop. <laughs> it's definitely a ridiculous situation. But it's funny. You were saying this early, Mike. I feel like you were early on this. And listen, Beckham's not being used and he's ineffective, so figure it out. And now the whole world is clamoring into saying, oh, is he a bad teammate? What do you do? Well, now you're screwed. Now he's damaged goods anyways. Not that he wasn't before, but even more so now. Well, it's never going to be his fault. Start with that pretense, right? It's not his fault. He's Even if he's declining, you you know, and even if he can't, it drops. Those drops aren't his fault. I mean, it, I mean, even even LeBron James said it's not his fault. I mean, he came out and tweeted there was 30 million followers that it's Odell, free Odell. You know, it's like free Ferris Bueller. Like it's like unbelievable. <laughs> like I could just see the house that Odell's living in has all these flowers in it, like like Ferris's house had. You know, like free Odell. Like like he has no accountability. Like you can't function. Like the Browns made a horrible mistake in keeping him. And keeping them like they should have got rid of them. I mean, they, they, they and, and then I said this at the trade deadline, you're going to pay him anyway, right? He's due to make $16 million this year. The Browns are on the hook to pay the rest of it. Okay. So they're going to pay the rest of it. That's not a big deal. You got to pay it. I mean, once you committed to him this year, you're going to pay it. You got to eat the salary. It's the cost of doing business. And so, and so from there, I think to me, to me, what you need to do is say, what's the best for our team? The best for our team is to get him the hell out of here. 
I don't care what anybody says. Get them out of here. As uh, as Bobby said, our social club, he's got to go. He's got to go. And so let him go. Like, what do you care? You know, I mean, and and look, I'm not in love with Baker. I, and I, I went back. I watch Baker every week. Like, I wouldn't pay Baker $35 million. I wouldn't pay Baker $30 million. I wouldn't fall in that trap. And, and Odell probably has some reasons to understand. Baker can't see him wide open down the field. I mean, that's been the problem all along. But he still has to catch the ball, and he's still accountable. And and for the Browns, which this season had a lot of hope in it, to be 4-4 four and four at the turn, going into Cincinnati, you know, you got to get rid of these problems. And we'll see how much the team is bonded around the entire team as opposed to are they going to bond around Odell, you know? I mean, how much control does the guy have? This is simply practicing the law of threes. And we're seeing that a lot now. The law of threes, you know, where there's three groups of people in every organization. You know, there's group group one, they'll do anything you want. Group two is undecided. And group three are Odell. Basically, you can't make them happy, you know? And so what you do as a leader, you ignore group three and focus on group one. The Browns are choosing to ignore group three, keeping him at home, keeping him at bay, and they're going to focus on group one. We'll see if it works. To me, I think you're better off just getting him out of the building. Why pay him to sit in Westlake? Let him go. Let, who cares if he goes to the Saints? Let them, let them, it'll be their problem. You think all of a sudden Odell's going to turn into this model guy and handle the locker room? I mean, look at the duplicity of his dad involved in this whole thing. Like, do we honestly think his dad put this tape together? I mean, you don't have to be Columbo to figure out where this tape came from. But to say, maybe his dad's like MacGyver. He's very savvy when it comes to doing these kinds of things. Ultimately, OBJ, I believe, has played his last game for the Browns. And this game, like you said, the Browns, pivotal game, you're four and four. The Bengals are favored minus two and a half. You don't have Kareem Hunt. So that impacts Nick Chubb and the Browns rushing game. And Joe Burrow has to improve after what happened, that dreadful loss to the Jets. So I think the Bengals win, but Cleveland needs this game, Mike. They're four and four. Yeah, they need it badly. And I mean, look, Cleveland hasn't played well the last couple of weeks. I mean, that's a fact. Defensively, for as good as they could rush the passer, they're horrible on third down. You know, last time they played in Cincinnati, it was a 37-34 game. Cincinnati came back, scored late in the game with about a minute to go to go up by three. And then they gave up two big passes down the field. Donovan Peoples-Jones made the game-winning touchdown in the end zone, and the Browns won 37-34. But to me, in that game, Neither team could stop one another. It kind of became a shootout, and Burrow got hit a bunch in the game. Burrow lost his starting left tackle in the game. He was getting hit quite a bit, but he was making plays. I mean, Miles Garrett basically caused two turnovers in the game, and if that happens again, I just think this Bengal offensive line is so bad. The Browns should be able to run the football. Chubb didn't play the last time in Cincinnati. Hunt only played. With with Hunt now, with Chubb without Hunt, and they still have their nickel back Felton, they can still do some damage and they can move the football. If the Bengals play as soft as they did against Mike White, the Browns will win. I just have a feeling this is, we're going to find out about the Browns' psyche. Where are they? How they're handling it? And, and where are they as a team coming together? Where are they in that area? That, to me, is going to be the fundamental question because they got to start to play better. There's no doubt. We talked about the trade deadline, the fact that Vaughn Miller is going. We'll get to him in just a second as he goes to Rams. But the major name everyone was talking to, Sean Watson, does not get traded. And apparently, according to his attorney, the trade of the Dolphins hinged on lawsuit settlements and NDAs. 
So that's the lawyer representing, excuse me, that's the lawyer representing the 22 women who have alleged sexual assault or harassment against Deshaun Watson. Tony Busby's his name. He said at some point the Dolphins wanted 22 settlements. I made it clear after talking to my clients that that wasn't going to happen, and then they lowered that number. I made that clear that wasn't going to happen. Watson's team was trying to sell the Dolphins on some lower number. I think that never came to pass. ESPN reported Dolphins owner Stephen Ross and Watson spoke over the phone Monday night. The nature of the conversation was not revealed. Ross had contingencies that needed to be met. Watson ultimately remains in Houston on the commissioner's ineligible list while the league and police investigate the allegations. He has not played for the one in seven Texans this year. What do you make of the situation, Mike? We thought that, that you know, whether smoke this fire, Miami won him, they get it done. Instead, these 22 settlements, as Busby said, the lawyer, we pushed back very hard for some of these women. It was a deal breaker having to include non-disclosure agreements. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and he needs those non-disclosures, I think, to basically to, to maybe avoid getting suspended by the league, you know, and so the, the story will never come out about actually what happened. I don't know. But here's what I do know is that Miami's interested. I mean, they're on this. They're interested. There's no denying they're not interested. And, you know, they could talk about how much they love Tua and all this crap. You know, they know. They know exactly where they are. They know exactly where they are with Tua. They know exactly where they got to go with Tua. And they, and they know that they want Watson. And for, for the owner of the team to get on the phone with the player and have a conversation, there's a lot of interest. I mean, owners don't get on the phone with players unless there's a ton of interest. And I think that that's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear. And if I'm Tua, I think they've sent me a message that eventually I'm not going to be here next year. I mean, eventually they're going to make a trade. Eventually this is all going to get worked out and we'll see how it all transpires. But for me, I mean, that's that's what I gleam from all this. Forget the Watson stuff. Watson's got to handle his off-the-field stuff. And I think Houston's right for holding back. I mean, why play him? Why why put him out there in terms of the character and your the culture of your team? Get that handled. Until he gets that handled, you know, he's going to be in a holding pattern. And that's what it means right now. Houston's an awful team. They're one in seven. Obviously, the Dolphins want to get him at some point. Busby, again, the lawyer for these 22 clients, said time is on his side. The case will likely move forward once he can depose Watson in February. So Deshaun Watson's not going anywhere right now. And that brings us to Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback. Everybody was hyped up for this game. Wow. Rodgers versus Mahomes. You get the Packers and the Chiefs. And then Aaron Rodgers test positive for COVID. Uh, he's got a quarantine for a minimum of 10 days. Cannot return until November 13th at the earliest. He's been considered an unvaccinated player this season. And that's why due to league protocol, he's going to have to miss a minimum of 10 days. He had an alternate treatment prior to the season. He then petitioned the NFL for that treatment to allow him to be considered the same as someone who was vaccinated, but he was denied. When asked, Rogers said this past August that he was immunized and seemed to mislead the media about his status. My old buddy, Mark Schlereth, of course, Stink does a great job at Fox Sports. He's on Broncos radio. He called him a dumbass. Um, and Mark, by the way, for the record, his mom passed away of COVID October 15th, so he was very passionate about it. I'll say this, Mike. I don't know if he's a dumbass, but he's selfish, he's irresponsible, and he might have cost his team a game against a Chiefs team that's very wounded right now. Uh, this is very disappointing for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it is. And and I my question is, what would, you know, like, what would, this is week nine of the season. What would happen if this was the playoff, week two of the playoffs? I mean, how, how do you go into a playoff game with so much at stake? You know, when your quarterback's not vaccinated and, you know, you and I both know we live in Jersey. We both do. 
And we know that the weather in the last 10 days has changed dramatically, right? We went from summer to almost the beginning of winter, right? I mean, and so what happens when that, you know, all my grandkids have colds and, you know, all this stuff's got to, that's why COVID's starting to come more around. I mean, it's just a part of the season, right? And, and I think that, you know, what's going to happen when we get into January? I don't know what the alternative treatment is. I would love to learn more about it. I would love to know, like, what was it? Like, what did he take? What was he doing? You know, and so I, I, I agree. I mean, you could call him selfish. You could call any player that refuses the vaccine. I mean, I, I don't understand it. You know, I don't. I mean, everybody has a right to do it. You know, the day I got that shot on my arm, I felt liberated. Obviously, some people don't. I mean, the head coach, the former head coach at Washington State was willing to give up a $3 million a year job because he said that as a Catholic, he, he doesn't have to take the shot. I'm Catholic. I didn't know the church told me that. I had no idea. I didn't get that memo. So, like, I don't know why. I don't know why you would give up a $3 million job to not take the vaccination because where are you going to work? Where are you going to work? You can't work in high school, right? You, you can't go to kindergarten without vaccinations, AD, right? Try to send your kids to school without the vaccination. See how that works out. And all the, the, all the people that are complaining about it, are immunized about certain things. They went to kindergarten. They went to grade school. They have it in them. So I, I'm confused on where the uh, what, why it's why it's like this. But I everybody has a right, and certainly Aaron Rodgers has the right. But it, now it affects you and your teammates. And if this happens in the playoffs, what will we do? Yeah, it would just be a calamitous situation. And Dr. Fauci was on Real Sports with Brian Gumble, and Gumble asked him, he said, listen, I know you're a big baseball guy, Nationals fan. If COVID was a baseball game, what inning are we in, by the way? Great question. And Fauci's response was seventh inning. And said, okay, so by the math, it started March of 2020. For the seventh inning now, it's November of 21. We should be done by March of 2022. That's two freaking years. And then Fauci added, and then Fauci added, but it could go extra innings. <laughs> My Jesus. I mean, two years is long enough, but to your point, this is the winter now. It gets colder. Now we're indoors. Like this, this isn't going to get better necessarily unless you are vaccinated. I just think it's, it's, it's just a bad move by Aaron Rodgers. And now the Chiefs, by the way, what a huge break for the Chiefs. They think they've got to face Aaron Rodgers. Now they're favored minus seven and a half, they're going to get to face Jordan Love. What a huge break for the Chiefs. Yeah, no doubt. And and can we have a conversation here? Nobody's going to have this, but we need to have it on the GM shuffle. Something's wrong with Patrick Mahomes. Something's wrong with him. He's not the same player. Like we could talk about all the things with the Chiefs, but Patrick Mahomes is not playing like a blue chip player. That that just let's just be real clear. Let's have the conversation. I know nobody wants to hear about it. You know, I know that's a problem, but the reality of it is, is this is what it is. He's not playing well. He's not comfortable. He doesn't look confident in the pocket. His footwork is disastrous. His mechanics have all gone to hell. He's throwing the ball from different launch points, and it doesn't look good. His accuracy isn't pristine. I mean, he throws the ball. He threw the ball out of bounds. I mean, this is an elite player. He's an elite player. And, you know, we often talk about this stuff, you know, like, where are we with, uh, you know, where players are? What's their mental health? We've seen it with Lane Johnson. We've seen it with Calvin Ridley. Like, where is, where is Patrick Mahomes? He does not look like the same player to me. And you could say, well, the offense... He is the offense. I mean, they play those safeties 25 yards deep. Just send the memo to Pro Football Focus, please. They play those safeties 25 yards deep because they're worried about Tyreek Hill going to catch in a deep pass. That's why those safeties are that far down the field. They don't think he's overrated. They think he's the best receiver in football, and they're scared to death to give up a play. 
And when the when the when they can score like they did against the Eagles, when the Eagles played stupidly like they did, it becomes a problem. So for me, you know, like I think there's something wrong with Mahomes. I don't know if it's off the field, on the field. I don't know. I'm not there. But when I watch this player, he does not play like an elite player. He's not playing to the same level that Josh Allen's playing in. He's not playing to the same Allen that anybody else is playing in. And it comes down to a real simple arithmetic. He's got to stop turning the ball over. Patrick Mahomes has four straight games without having more passing touchdowns than interceptions. That's the longest such streak of his career. And the Chiefs overall, they average 2.4 giveaways per game this season. That's the most in football. No team has made the playoffs averaging two or more giveaways since the 2009 Cardinals had Kurt Warner. They got to stop giving the ball away, Mike. Simple as that. No, and he's got, like, even the other day when you watch the Manning cast, I mean, Peyton made the point. He's got the guy open. He's got to throw the ball to him. Now, you know, the Manning cast, I mean, it's great. It's fun to watch, but neither guy wants to criticize the quarterback. I mean, you could see, I mean, I think if you gave Peyton truth serum, he would say, hey, this guy's not playing well. Something's going on. I think he would say the same thing I'm saying. I don't know the answer to what's wrong. I know his mechanics are bad. Daniel Jones, the same thing. I mean, Daniel Jones, we we understand Daniel Jones. When he has to play fast and when things speed up with him, it becomes a problem. But for me, like something's going on with Mahomes. And I know we, we we just assume he's great and and he is great. And I'm sure he'll be great again. And he could be great starting next week, but he ain't the same guy. There's a reason why their offense is struggling so badly. I mean, and, and don't tell me it's because teams are playing them. Once you know how teams play you, you know, if you're Andy Reid, as good a coach as you are, change what you're doing. Change the formation. Change the things. Do something. And it's not going to get any easier. The Chiefs do not have an opponent remaining this season that currently has a losing record. They're the only such team in the NFL. So good luck the rest of the way. We now shift to a very serious and grave story involving Raiders wide receiver Henry Ruggs arrested and cut from the Raiders after the 22-year-old Wadett was driving a Chevy Corvette 156 miles an hour, 3.40 a.m. on a Tuesday. He slammed into the back of another car, killing a young woman and her dog inside. Police determined uh, it was a DUI. It was his alcohol level twice the legal limit. So he's charged with DUI, resulting in death and reckless driving. Another DUI charge may be coming related to the injuries suffered by his girlfriend, who was also in the car with him. He could face up to 46 years in prison if convicted of all charges. Was released by the Raiders on Tuesday. 24 catches, 469 yards, two touchdowns this season. 19.5 yards per catch, by the way. That average was second in the NFL. Now forget about his NFL playing career. You got to worry about his life. This is a horrible, horrible situation, Mike. And he could be in prison for decades. You know, it's it's a horrible mistake. And you don't understand why. Why do you make this mistake? I mean, the club... The clubs do everything in their power to make sure that players have the ability to call one number and get a ride home. We live in a world of you. We live in a world of Uber. You're in Las Vegas. You could have a limo at your service at any time you want, right? I mean, it isn't like you're in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where you know if you're out late at night, who are you going to call? It's kind of desolate. This is Las Vegas. It's 24 hours a day, baby. I mean, it's not. You know, I mean, I, I, my heart breaks for the family, and and for Rugs, he made one dumb decision. And it and now his life is ruined. There's no getting it back. The Raiders had to release him. There is no choice. This is this is 156 miles an hour AD. I don't think I've ever gone 156 miles an hour in a car in my life. Like like why would I I mean I I 
I mean, I'm I'm not a a speed guy. I mean, you know, but I mean, like I I, I can't even imagine that. And and, and he's out at three o'clock. Nothing ever happens good in the, at three o'clock in the morning. And if you're going to go out and party with your girlfriend, then take an Uber, take a limo. You're you're making a lot of money. You just ruined your career. How many more times do we have to listen to this? How much more stupidity do we have to deal with? And you wonder for the Raiders, Mike, God, they've been through a lot. John Gruden, obviously that whole situation. Now you lose, um, you know, a great young receiver to this horrible, horrible situation. I mean, it's, I know the football stuff we don't care about. We're concerned, obviously, for the, the death of a young woman and her dog. But the fact that the Raiders have to deal with this. I mean, Derek Carr spoke about it. He said, like, it, it's going to be very hard for me to focus and compartmentalize. I can't imagine what it's like for those guys on the team right now. I think it's hard. I do. And I think, you know, let's let's spin this forward to football, right? I mean, Ruggs, Ruggs kind of opened up. He was their Tyreek Hill. He opened up a lot of things on the underneath route. Now they're not going to be as hard to defend. You're going to, they can, Waller's still a great player. But Byron Evans, I mean, Edwards is not, you know, he's not a speed guy. Hunter Renfro's not a speed guy. They don't really have anybody who's going to say Jones isn't a speed. Nobody's going to take the top of their defense off. You know, and Ruggs was starting to come into his own. It's a shame. I mean, it's just horrible that the stupidity that you would say, look, I'm out. Why do I have to, what do I, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing here? It's just a sad, and you know, it's just, uh, unfortunately, but you know, the Raiders, they talk about how they want to draft character and all this stuff. And then this happens, you know, and, and no matter how much you educate young players on this, they still, for whatever reason, find the urge to get in their car after they drink. It makes no sense at all. It's, uh, it's just definitely a horrible, horrible situation. And uh, obviously our thoughts and prayers go to the young girl who was killed. Just, uh, just despicable. When we come back, the Broncos trade Vaughn Miller to the Rams. Wow, biggest move of the trade deadlines. The Rams are all in. You want traffic? We don't care. We're trying to win the Super Bowl. Plus, the Michael Lombardi Bowl. Pats and Panthers, both 4-4. Four and four. Who will emerge victorious? The mailbag and all that more coming up next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Now we get to more games and the actual blockbuster which took place. The Broncos sending one of the greatest defensive players in the history of their franchise, the Rams, in exchange for his second and third round pick in 2022. Von Miller, eight-time Pro Bowler, seven-time All-Pro, Super Bowl MVP, the team's all-time leader in sacks. 
and said, Broncos GM George Payton, this is not a fire sale. We're four and four. Everything is in front of us. I believe in the players we have to replace Vaughn. I think they're all in. As far as the Rams are concerned, they already lead the NFL in sacks. They're top 10 in a lot of major statistical categories. This isn't surprising to me, Mike. This is the Rams saying, of course we're all in. We'll do whatever it takes. We don't care about any of these picks. What I wonder is this. How much does Vaughn Miller improve their defense, right? Veteran guy. He's not the same guy he once was. Maybe he's energized with being on the Rams and takes his game to the next level. Uh, he also, by the way, just passed his physical, but he's dealing with an ankle injury while he learns the playbook. So his status for Sunday yet to be determined. Rams are minus seven and a half against the Titans. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, for me, you know, I think this. I think Von Miller was a great, great player. I think there's no doubt about that. I think Von Miller is not the same player that he once was. I mean, I know he had four and a half sacks, 19 tackles, you know, seven tackles for loss. But, you know, I I think when you watch him play, he doesn't have the same impact. And he's not the same guy. And I think what George Payton decided to do was, look, we're going to cut him at the end of the year, right? We owe him nine and a half million dollars. So if somebody makes me a really good offer, you know, then I got to get rid of him because I can replace him. I mean, I could replace him with somebody, whether it's Sean Weatherly, Stephen Weatherly, who they just traded for. Bradley Chubb comes back off injured reserve. You know, I could replace him. I mean, he's a good player, but it's not like he's a blue chip elite rusher. And so what he did was he basically, for $9 million that it cost him to pay the salary that he had to pay anyway, right? He picked up a two and a three. I love this. The league says you're not allowed to trade money for draft picks, but this is clearly a money for draft pick deal. The, the Broncos are going to pay $9 million of the nine and a half salary, and they get a two and a three back. Pretty good deal. And if you're the Rams, basically you are, you, you know, just think of the scene in Rounders where you're sitting there and, you know, and 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 what's that John Malovic? Was that his name? John, John Malkovich is unbelievable as the Russian. Yeah, he's great. I mean, that's the Rams licking the cookie. And going all in. <laughs> I love it. The Rams is Malkovich. I'm all in on this. As far as the game is concerned, they're minus seven and a half. Of course, Derek Henry plays the IR. Now the Titans offense. Listen, I know Tannehill's great and they've got weapons, but without Henry, it's a much different look. Their defense has been improved, but still has holes. I like the Rams to win this game, but I'm curious how the Titans adjust without Derek Henry. I think it's a hard thing because other than a quarterback, Henry is really the the infrastructure of the Tennessee offense. And you could say, and all the analytical people will tell you, you don't have to have a good running back to, to get play action to work for you. True. That's true. However, when you have Henry in the backfield, you honor that. You're scared to death. You're never not going to be in an eight-man front, right? You're never not going to take the risk that he could hit the C-gap and take it to the house like he did, uh, you know, like he did against the Bills, you know? And so he controls the front. He controls the placement of the front. He controls the mentality of the front. And yes, you know, yes, faking the ball to him, the linebackers are going to really etch. But now from this day forward, the way teams are going to play Tennessee is differently. They're going to say, okay, on all all fronts, we'll, we'll try to cheat this. Safeties, linebackers, play the pass. We'll double A.J. Brown. We'll take away Julio Jones. We'll force them to run the ball, see if they can make plays running it. This is the reverse. You were every team tried to take the run away from Tennessee. Now teams are going to say they're going to dare them to run, because once they know that the back is different, the runs won't be as explosive, and now it's going to force Tennessee to play from behind, and now it's going to force Ryan Tannehill to have to throw drop back passes, and now it's going to force them to play really differently. And so this whole thing, you know, there's only so many players that shift the line in football. 
right? Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes when he's playing good. But this team, Tennessee, to me, it shifts the line. I mean, this line opened up, I, I think it opened up at one, one and a half. Let me see here. Oh, it, it, it opened up early. Well, it opened up at six and a half because the news of Henry came out. But it's at seven and a half. I mean, here's a team that's just beaten just beaten the Bills, the one of the best teams in the AFC, just beat the Chiefs, and, and just beat the Colts at home. And they're, and they're going out to Los Angeles, and they're a seven and a half point. That tells you how much he means to the team. Certainly does. Maybe the Titans can pull off an upset, but I think the Rams win this one. Meantime, the Pats and Panthers. Patriots minus three and a half. The Lombardi Bowl with both of your kids coaching on these respective staffs. I want to know, what have the group chats been like this week? How are you and Millie going to watch this game Sunday? Well, I mean, the group chats are not existent because they're, they're too competitive to have a group chat. I'm sure they don't trust me. Either one trusts me to give information to the other side. So they're not saying anything like, you know, usually I'll send them a house practice go this week. You know, I'm not getting any of that. Right. So I'm, I'm shut out. I mean, look, I think the policy will be, you know, we, we won't, whatever the home team is, you know, uh, we'll go with it. But I, I, it's hard for me. I don't, I'm so torn, AD. I don't know what to do. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I can't go to the game. Millie will go to the game. She'll be able to sit there with the family and everybody will be around and enjoy it in, in the stadium. And, you know, if it, I think it was, I think her policy is if it was a Patriot home game, she root for the Patriots. If it's a Panther home game, she's going to root for the Panthers. But thank God this is only once every three years. So we don't have to deal with this all the time. Yeah, I was, about to, yeah, I was about to say, if this was like a divisional game, I'd be like, oh my God, week 17, you're like, oh my God, this is really going to determine who wins the division. Like you said, oh, thankfully, it's only once every few years. As for the game itself, I feel like, and we've talked about this a lot, Mac Jones does not get nearly enough credit. When you look at this quarterback class right now, you go, hey, Mac Jones, this guy's good, and Belichick's defense is good, which is why I think the Panthers could be in some trouble here. I mean, the Patriots are on the road, and yet they're the favorite. The Panthers are a home dog, because I think you feel like, hey, Belichick's defense, they can frustrate Darnold, and Mac Jones is in Improving. And Darnold might not play. I think that's the other concern, right? Darnold might not play because, you know, he's still in COVID, pro- he's still in a concussion protocol. So he di- he didn't practice. McCaffrey it sounded like he was limited. There's not sure he's going to play. So without Darnold and without McCaffrey, this will be a really hard game. However, that being said, this front of Carolina will give New England some trouble. Mac Jones can't is not going to have the time to throw the ball that he had against the Chargers. Even though the Chargers have a good rush, they did a great job of handling Bosa. This will be a harder game. Mac Jones is going to have to play fast and decisive if they're going to win. Interesting. We'll look forward to that game. I, I know it's not going to be a pleasant game for you, like you said. I do like Millie's theory, though. Cheer for whoever is the home team. That way you feel like, you know what? Uh, you know, you're not favoring one some, but you're with the home team. It's fine. And and I'll say this, for the Panthers, their defense, you mentioned that front, they've allowed 14 points or fewer each of their four wins this season. They've allowed 20 or more in each of their four losses. That defense really has been a bellwether for their success. Cardinals are seven and one. They're facing the three and four Niners. Again, the Niners are a home dog. The Cardinals are the favorite as the road team. They just took their first loss this season. Kyler Murray could be limited in the run game with a hurt ankle. And you got Jimmy Garoppolo stepping up. He threw for over 300 yards last week, first time since week one. How do you handicap this one? Well, I mean, it was 17-7 the last time they played. It was a close game. Murray wasn't 100%. It looked like his shoulder bothered him in that game. And, and Trey Lance was the starting quarterback. I, I think this is the Niners. They're going to have to come out. Murray says he's going to go with his ankle. If he's limited at all in terms of his movement, that could be a problem. And without J.J. Watt on defense, we'll see if they can stop the run and play as physical as they did. We saw Green Bay run the ball on them. I, I think this is, a, you know, San Francisco is a home dog, I think is an attractive one. If San Francisco was favored in this game, I would think so. But to me, 
the injury factor of Arizona and the depth of Arizona, I'm a little concerned with. I lean towards San Francisco here. Well, Garoppolo, 3-1 and one in his career versus the Cardinals. 11 passing touchdowns, two interceptions, and a 116 passer rating. By the way, Debo Samuel is also having a great year. He's on pace for almost 2,000 receiving yards, 1,989. That would actually break the Hall of Famer Calvin Johnson's single-season record of 1,964 that was set back in 2012. One more game to get into, and then we'll get to the mailbag. Vikings at Ravens. Three and four Minnesota. Five and two Ravens. Ravens are minus six. They're coming off a bye. Ravens D, they've struggled in their consistency. They've got to shut down Dalvin Cook and the, and the Vikings. And for Minnesota, they might lose, Mike, but they're close games. Their average margin of defeat is less than four points. I'm curious what Mike Zimmer will cook up against Lamar Jackson. Well, I mean, you know, Daniel Hunter being out certainly hurts them. I thought Everson Griffin played really well last week. And defensively, I'm sure he'll do a good job. The question is, can they throw the football? You know, last week against Dallas, they didn't throw the ball worth a darn. I mean, you know, that was so disappointing in that game. They, they the Kirk Cousins couldn't make a play against the Cowboys secondary. And this is a secondary that you got to take advantage of. If you can protect, if you can handle the Don Martindale blitzes, you can attack this Baltimore secondary. So to me, this is really about Kirk Cousins. I think it's a lot of points. I really do. I think it's a closer game. My my line on, on when I work my number says this should be about a four-point game. I like Minnesota and the points here. I think take the points. I think it'll be a field goal game. Interesting. Lamar Jackson leads all quarterbacks 68.6 rushing yards per game despite the fact he has queer highs in passing attempts and passing yards. Cousins, he'll try to step up and ultimately Mike Zimmer in terms of success against you know players of this ilk, he's 12-23-1 and versus former MVP quarterbacks in his career as a head coach and a defensive coordinator. Dalvin Cook, I think, will really be key uh, as far as Minnesota is concerned. As always, send us your mailbag questions. The GM Shuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. This is from Tommy. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work with it. I never miss an episode. How do so many teams screw up quarterback evaluations? Is it confirmation bias? Pre-mediated resentments swayed by the media. Mac Jones is better than everyone this year. MVP Mitch over Mahomes. Darnold and Josh Rosen over Lamar. The mistakes are glaring. Are the GMs that bad? That's a great question. I mean, Bill Walsh said that very few people can evaluate the quarterback and even fewer can coach him, and he's right. I mean, you know, that Lamar draft. I mean, look, they took Baker Mayfield over that, you know? And I was with somebody a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about that draft, and, and, and the guy said to me, he said, you know, when I watched Lamar Jackson, I thought, how are people going to defend this guy? And the team ended up taking Baker Mayfield over him. And, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I love Baker Mayfield when I was watching him coming out of Oklahoma. I thought, God, this guy. But then when I watched him play against Georgia and he had to play in the pocket, I was worried about him playing, playing from the pocket. Georgia made him play from the pocket. And so I think so many odd times we just get caught up in numbers and the perception. I mean, look, we could talk about Tua all we want. I mean, Tua throws slants and, come, and, cur- and flats and swings. He doesn't throw anything down the field with any velocity. I mean, that was a complete media production. Complete. Is Tua a bad player? No. Can you? Is he the fifth best player in a draft? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Not even close. But, the, but there's this perception. And I think bias really plays into it. And I think the other thing, too. And I think we learned this from leave the gun, take the cannoli. Is... The problem with quarterback evaluation is there's too many people involved. Collaboration. Collaboration will be the death of most NFL teams. It'll be the death because there's too many people who don't know giving opinions on something they have no idea about, right? It's really that simple. 
too many people who don't know given opinions about something they don't know. And they're strong opinions. I mean, let's just take San Francisco. We know this. We know Kyle Shanahan wanted Mac Jones. I don't give a shit what anybody says, okay? That's fact, all right? That's fact. He traded up in the draft to get Mac Jones. The social media reaction and the reaction in his own building by Adam Peters, the assistant general manager, and John Lynch was, we can't do this. They listened to Twitter. They listened to Twitter. Twitter says, you can't trade all that for Mac Jones. Mac Jones isn't worth that. Okay, great. He's not worth that, right? That's what you think right? You're wrong in your evaluation. So now I get, they get Trey Lance. They talk him out of it. And, and, and I think it's the biggest mistake of all. Do you think, you think Adam Peters and John Lynch know as much about what it takes to play quarterback as Kyle Shanahan? I don't think so. I don't think so. And, but, there's, but collaboration plays into this. And so to me, the biggest problem in the NFL why so many teams are unsuccessful is they become, we're going to be a collaborative organization. I mean, that's what the Bears were so happy to announce they were collaborative. Remember Ryan Pace when he stood in the room and he said, look, top rated player, everybody agrees with them. You got a problem. When everybody agrees on something, that means nobody's thinking, everybody's thinking alike and that means no one's thinking. There's a real issue. And I think that's what happens with quarterbacks. Why it's so important if different voices in that room allow different, uh, you know, perspectives to be had, discuss, barter, get through it all, and try to make the right decision for your team. Pop Culture Minute as we close. The headlines today everywhere. People are texting me, oh, see, see, David Chase confirmed that Tony got killed. No, he didn't. I listened to the podcast, The Hollywood Reporter, my buddy Scott Feinberg, and there's headlines. You can Google it right now. New York Post, oh, Chase confirms. No, no, I'm going to read exactly what David Chase said because I heard this podcast yesterday and then I saw the headlines today. I go, no, no, no. Here's what he said. Uh, Scott Feinberg asked me, question with the ending, and this is what Chase said. The scene I had in mind was not that scene, nor did I think of cutting to black. I had a scene in which Tony comes back from meeting in New York in his car. At the beginning of every show, he came from New York into New Jersey, and the last scene could be him coming from New Jersey back into New York for a meeting at which he was going to be killed. He then said, I had this notion. I was driving an Ocean Park Boulevard near the airport, and I saw a little restaurant. It was kind of like a shack that served breakfast, and for some reason, I thought Tony should get it in a place like that. Why? I don't know. That was like two years before. Uh, he then is asked about the uproar, and he said, I had no idea the ending would cause that much. Nobody was talking about it. There were talk about the Sopranos. It was kind of incredible to me. I had no idea it would be that much of an uproar. What was annoying was how many people wanted to see Tony killed. That bothered me. They wanted to know that Tony was killed. They wanted to see him go face down in Linguini, you know? And I just thought, God, you watch this guy for seven years. I know he's a criminal, but don't tell me you don't love him in some way. Don't tell me you're not on his side in some way. And now you want to see him killed? You want justice done? You're a criminal after watching this shit for seven years. That bothered me, yeah. Mike, if I say that to you, that does not mean that David Chase is confirming Tony died. Yeah, I know. People just, again, it's a little bit back to our, our, our mailbag question. People begin with the end in mind. They want Tony to die. You know, they want Tony to die. I mean, like, seriously, I, I, I like the way it ended. I like the fact that I think Tony could, I, I could create my own ending to it. Like, why does it have to be the, why does Tony have to die? And I still say this, if Tony died, who'd ordered the hit? Who ordered the hit? You know, we know Butchie, Butchie and him made peace. So that's it. We know Sills in the hospital. We know Bobby's dead. Nobody in his family. I mean, is Patsy Parisi going to kill him? I mean, Patsy Parisi's son's going to marry his daughter. Like, <laughs> who's killing him? Right. I mean, J- Jimmy, the, the Jimmy's in jail. What's that guy? The, the, the guy that had one of the great lines of all time. You know, when he went, the, one of my favorite lines of all time, he said, and yeah, and six months ago, you were selling laser printers out of the back of your Crown Vic. You know, he's in jail. He turned informant. 
Like, who's going to kill him? Carlo? Carlo's in jail. He's an informant. Like, who's left? It's just ridiculous. Confirmation bias. Uh, anything you want for the pop culture minute? No, I, I mean, I, I, I'm good. I, I watched. I did watch Lansky the other night. Yeah, Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel. I thought he was brilliant. And I thought the story was very weak. It's about Harvey Keitel. It's about Myra Lansky telling his story to a newspaper reporter, to a writer who's going to write a book about it. And then the writer kind of turns on him. They can't find Myra Lansky's $3 million that he had left that he tucked away somewhere. And it was really not a very good screenplay. You know how you know a movie's not going to be very good? I got a clue for you. And I don't want to stay, I'm going to stay in my lane, but I got a clue for you for Cinephile. When, when the opening credits come on, and they say, this is a treetop production. And then the next one, this is a cloud five production. This is a set. This is a, 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 a Neil Brahm production. And this is a, you know, a, a CCY production. And there's like seven productions that they all get credit for that you know that's bad. Again, collaboration. You know it's bad because everybody's been buying it and selling it, moving it along, but it's really not any good. <laughs> that's actually a great tip. You're right. Whenever I see a screenplay and there's more than four writers, I'm like, that's not good. That means one guy started, another guy had to finish it, another guy had to add to it, another guy had to edit it, and that can't be good. You're right. Four production companies can't be good. I heard bad reviews. I just love Harvey Keitel, and obviously we love our Meyer Lansky. He's brilliant in it. Yeah. You know what I did? I started watching The Irishman again. And after I watched that, and The Irishman, when you go back and watch it again, is brilliant. And Al Pacino as Jimmy Hoffa is brilliant. I mean, Al Pacino is so good, and so is Pesci. I mean, so is Pesci in, in, in the role as Russell. I mean, it's so, the acting is so good. And the guy who plays uh, 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 Tony Pro is so good. You know that, and they have that ice cream fight in the in the prison. You know. Uh, oh, Stephen you know, Graham. Stephen Graham, who's a British actor, by the way, and he's terrific playing a mobster. Yeah. He's brilliant. You know, he played Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire. Right. I mean, just brilliant. I mean, just brilliant. I mean, just go through that. That whole thing is so good. And 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 really, I, I appreciate Pacino more and more when I watch it. And the story, like there is no difference, but there is like you can't even talk about the Irishman and the many saints of Newark. I mean, they're just two different. It's just completely different. It's like not even close. Yeah. The Irishman was my favorite film of 2019. And you're right to mention the performances. Both Pacino and Pesci were nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Pesci was so understated, which is so unlike that we've seen him in like Goodfellas or Casino. And Pacino, I mean, you mentioned the ice cream scene. I love the scene where he goes at Tony Pro for being late. Like the way he hits his watch because, you know, you're late. You know, and they, they start arguing about traffic. How much time to account for traffic? I mean, the guy was just so obsessed with, like, time. He was so meticulous about it. It was crazy. And, they, and, they, and he better not be late. He be- Ten minutes is all I wait. Like, it's... <laughs> Oh, it's a funny movie. The Irishman. Make sure you check it out on Netflix. And as always, support the GM Shuffle. Go to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Best of luck to Mike and Mick. Patriots and Panthers, we'll talk to you on Monday on the GM Shuffle.